1: Hello, just a quick trigger warning for this episode. We do talk extensively about suicide, depression, stuff like that. Around the 54-minute mark, I do give another trigger warning right before we start talking about it, and that conversation lasts for about 13 minutes, so just wanted to give you a heads up if you wanted to skip that section or whatever. So just be careful, be safe, thank you so much for listening, and talk hard. Guess who? It's ten o'clock. Do you care where your parents are? That's right. We are rounding out our four-part discussion of. I'm changing what we're going to call this, since this is going to be an annual thing in April. I'm calling it Gen X movies now, because every movie we covered, even Office Space, that is a Gen X movie. I don't care what you say. So all these movies we've talked about are Gen X. So we are going to be doing this every April. We're going to start with four movies that are from Gen X, the Gen X generation. And so tonight we are wrapping things up. I don't know why I said tonight. Cause we're recording like at noon, but <laughs> we are wrapping things up with pump up the volume. And this is my favorite of the four we have covered. This movie is still so amazingly good. And I have like very few critiques of this movie at all. I, I, Love everything about it. And I want to say this was the first podcast. Happy Harry Hard on. That was the first podcast. I don't know if you would have podcasts without this movie. I'm just going to say that. I could be completely wrong, but I don't think so. (laughs) So I'm talking about indie podcasts, not like the NPR ones. I'm talking about the ones that are just started by people like me and other people. So I love this movie. This is the most Gen X of all the ones we've talked about, I think. I think a lot of this stuff... While I think other generations can relate to the teen stuff, I think there's a lot of stuff in here that is so Gen X that and late millennial or early millennial, I guess that's what they're called, like the first generation of millennials or the first years of millennials can relate to you the most. So I'm very excited about this one. I do have some trivia as well. Uh, but before we get to that, just a quick housekeeping note, of course, that we are on Patreon And I did finally release our three-hour and two-minute episode covering the first two seasons of American Horror Story. It is a ton of fun. You watch us kind of, since we recorded that, we kind of get a little bit loopy as the episode goes on. But it's so much fun. And coming really soon will be seasons three and four. So you know what that means. Season four is the first season with Finn Wittrock. And everybody on these panels... Are part of my Finwit Rock crew. Chrissy is a new member of that crew, so those are going to be a ton of fun. So you don't want to miss out on that. So head on over to the link in our show notes, or go to our website. It's a fandomthingpod.com and click support there. You can also get merch at our Redbubble store. Okay, so I'm going to go around and ask everybody what they're into right now. Danelle,
2: so what am I into right now? I think I mentioned this on the last time I was on the podcast, but I've been going through Young Sheldon and having a lot of fun with that. And then you recommended, um, and I think we discussed afterwards, you were watching um, that new show with Tony Collette. What was pieces of her?
1: Pieces of her. Yes.
2: So that's wild. That's a trip. So I'm kind of enjoying that right now. That's pretty much what I've been into, and just enjoying kind of revisiting some of these movies. Have been a lot of fun.
1: been a ton of fun uh sarah what are you into
0: well besides my uh continuing obsession with uh ghost at the moment we watched a uh movie last night called metal lords on netflix very cute movie uh you know typical teenage coming of age and some really fun uh metal musician cameos in that one Very much enjoyed that. Um, And uh, like Danelle said, you know, going back and watching these movies, uh, especially Pump Up the Volume, uh, really brought me back to high school uh, in a good way. Because everyone knows high school is just flipping miserable.
1: What I'm into is uh, the music That was around this time. Uh, All the music from all of these movies we have covered. So Dazed and Confused, of course, the music is from the 70s. But still, I consider Dazed and Confused a Gen X movie. Uh, So all the music in these movies that we have talked about, even Office Space, is so of that generation and so of that time and so incredible. And I want to say, you know, there was all this stuff with like this was a year ago with stupid Fox news and all the right wing saying that Gen X needed to be there to stop cancel culture. And we were the only one to save that. I want to say something F you (laughs) first off, because we had so we were the generation where we had the parental advisory stickers. We were fighting against this stuff. I mean, the song freedom of speech, which is in pump up the volume by above the law was all about that stuff. We were, everything was trying to be banned from us. So we are not going to save you because we were the first generation that was treated like that. I know that happened with the boomers, whatever, but I'm, I mean, I really think this was a generation that was attacked with that stuff. We had the just say no crap, all that. So no, we, we are not going to save you because we are not on your side. (laughs) So there, I just, that stuff just drives me nuts. But anyway, I just wanted to put that out there, but yeah. (laughs) Amen. (laughs) Yeah, so I, I am really into this music and revisiting it and revisiting this generation that once again, like I've said a million times, we are the forgotten generation. So it's just, yeah, I love these movies and this music so much. Okay, so some facts about Pump Up the Volume. Pump Up the Volume was written and directed by Alan Moyle, who also directed Empire Records. So to me, there's some similarities between the two. This is definitely deeper and more dramatic than Empire Records. This was released on August 22nd, 1990. I tried my hardest to find the budget for this, and I could not find it anywhere. I, I googled it i tried everything and so if anybody knows what the budget was for this i really would be curious because i'd like i'm sure it was actually kind of high because of the music in it uh because this did gross 11 a total worldwide gross was 11 million five hundred forty one thousand seven hundred fifty eight dollars which actually this was considered a flop I know that sounds weird when you give numbers like that but just like office space was in the 10 million That was still considered a flop, but I really want to know what the budget was. It's so frustrating to me that I couldn't find that for this one because I'm sure most of it, like I said, went to the music and of course, probably to Christian Slater. I mean, he was huge when this movie came out, but some other trivia, speaking of Christian Slater, Christian Slater became physically ill several times during filming due to all the cigarette smoking he had to do, which I mean, he was a smoker, but still. Even me being a smoker at, you know, when I was in high school and stuff and afterwards, that would have been too much cigarette smoking. And there was an article by Jamie Portman, Movie View's Cruel World of Today's Teenage Angst, which mentions that the school in the film, Hubert Humphrey High, was based on a Montreal high school where director Alan Moyle's sister used to teach that, according to Moyle, had a principal who had a pact with the staff to enhance the credibility of the school scholastically at the expense of the students who were immigrants or culturally disabled in some way or another. Uh, This was the first theatrical feature film written or directed by writer-director Alan Moyle in around a decade. This was because around 10 years earlier, Moyle's then-last film, Times Square, had allegedly been taken from him and re-edited during post-production. HHH is the acronym and the initials of both one of the radio call names of Mark Hunter, Happy Harry Hardon, and the informal name of the educational institution, Hubert Humphrey High. During production, Christian Slater had his driver's license suspended for the second time in two years for DUIs, and writer-director Alan Moyle had to retool the script accordingly. Lead character, Mark Hunter, doesn't drive, tells his listeners he has no car, no license, and goes everywhere on foot. In the climactic scene, his girlfriend, Nora, played by Samantha Mathis, who was dating Christian Slater at the time, by the way, drives the Jeep while Mark does his last hard, hairy broadcast from the passenger seat. And there was a musical of this that was created, and it was supposed to debut in 2020, but because of COVID, it got postponed. So I don't know if that'll ever happen again. I don't know if I necessarily want a musical of this, to be honest. I mean, I I would be curious to see. A lot of these are turned into musicals. Like there's a musical of American Psycho and, you know, so I I don't know. I don't know. I'd be curious about that. But now we're going to go around. And I know, once again, these questions are hard. But I want to know, Danelle, what are three of your favorite scenes or lines?
2: I would say the opening is one of my favorites i think the opening is just at the time it was kind of shocking and funny and it spoke perfectly to the mindset if you were into the alternative scene at all or remotely connected to the alternative scene it was like the mecca (laughs) opening scene and just his angst it just spoke i mean and it still speaks to me i mean my inner teenager came out when i watched this again and i was like yes so the opening scene for me was as is one of my favorites um i think the scene right after when he goes to talk to his parents and he's got the golf club is another yes. one of my favorites <laughs> it just makes me laugh so hard like how are they so clueless and then like He's walking around with this freaking golf club and he never they never say a word. Like what are you doing? That cracks me up. And then I would say another favorite is when um Paige uh nukes her her stuff in the mm-hmm. microwave. <laughs> that's another favorite of mine. So yeah, and there's so many great scenes, but yeah, I that's a that's
0: a favorite too.
1: Those are all great great scenes. So Sarah
0: The uh, scene with Paige nuking her stuff in the microwave is just perfect. Like she's had it at that point with trying to uh, live up to her parents or her father's expectations. I don't remember if we ever saw a mother. I know we saw a dad, but I can't remember if we ever saw a mother.
2: Yeah,
0: (laughs) That was a great scene. Uh, The scene where he calls out the uh, guidance counselor for his his bullshit on... uh,
1: I can't think of her name now. How am I not remembering her name? I just, uh, I, just I watched this twice in the last I know.
0: I like now. Just, I, uh, okay, but hold on. Uh,
1: the one who's pregnant. The one who's yes.
0: pregnant. Yes. So, Cheryl. Okay.
1: Cheryl. Cheryl. Thank um, you. God. And Mike is yeah. a C because they spell it with a C. Yeah. Okay.
0: <laughs> Where he calls the guidance counselor and, uh, confronts him about Cheryl being uh, expelled for being pregnant and her, you know, unfortunate situation or whatever language, uh, was used in there, and then also after they've had the big, you know, parent meeting, and his parents come home and they're knocking on the the door, and he's trying to get everything covered up, you know. And they finally come in, and they're like, "Who you're talking to?" And Nora just pops up, and he's, They're like, "Oh, well, you know, for a second there, we thought you might be that DJ guy." And just how clueless. Because it sounds just like him. I mean, even though it's a voice disguiser. Absolutely cool. I know. I, I, exactly. I, I mean, even with the voice disguiser, you can tell it's him. I, like, how do you not know what's going on here? You know, I mean, just, oh, my God, the parents in this movie just, I, I don't know, maybe it's because I'm a parent. I don't know. But just, like, they, they have just, and it, it, it's not just his parents. It's all of them. Like, they have absolutely no idea what's going on. In their children's lives uh, until this happens, until he becomes popular and all the kids are listening to him, and now suddenly they are interested in what's going on in their kids' lives. But I,
1: that's a whole other rant there that I will not go into at this moment. <laughs> yeah, there are so, I'm, so many. I think pretty much almost everything that Mark says in this movie is a favorite, but I just want to point to a couple. And this is right near around the time after um, Malcolm commits suicide. But I love when Mark, I love that whole scene afterwards when Mark is struggling with wanting to go on and feeling guilty and feeling like I should have done more. I should have said something and saying he, and he quits for like two seconds and then goes right back on the air and his whole speech then, and his whole everything he says during that whole moment, I think is amazing. And I really love when he says, uh, I'm sick of being ashamed. I don't mind being dejected and rejected, but I'm not going to be ashamed about it. At least p- pain is real. I mean, you look around and you see nothing is real, but at least the pain is real. And I think that whole quote right there captures what it was like to be a teenager in this generation and to be a teenager period, I think, but especially in this time period. Because everything was so fake. I mean, this is from 1990. So it was right when the 80s are ending. And the 80s were just all about greed and excess, and nothing was real anymore. And the generation that was supposed to save us from all this crap sold out and became exactly what they said they weren't going to be. And we were just so left behind in the world, and everything was, you know, just awful. And pretty soon we were in a war and just. We were seeing that, you know, this supposed dream for this country wasn't real and what were we going to do with our life and did anyone give a crap about us? And I think that quote kind of encapsulates that a lot. Um, I also just really love uh, every time he reads the Eat Me, Beat Me poetry from Nora. I <laughs> I love all those scenes. Uh, just the way he reads it, uh, the words... Everything like that, and especially when he reads the one and Nora is listening and she's reciting it. Not when he picks up from the from the post office, but when he's when she's listening to it and reciting it at the same time. And just the way it would cut back and forth between the two of them was really really nice. And of course, it gave us the talk hard. So I I love that scene a lot. That I just it's it's great, and I really love. Uh, the ending. I think the ending of this movie is so perfect, and his last speech. While I think if it had been in different hands or played differently or a different actor, even I think that could have come up, come off as really cheesy or cliche or kind of like uh, eye rolling. But it wasn't at all. It was perfect way to end it. And yeah, so I it just. Every scene I could probably name, but I think those those were great. Okay, so I think of all the movies we have covered, this movie has the best soundtrack, hands down. And this is a reason why you could not find this movie for years. I was so happy when it was on HBO Max. I mean, I own it, but I was happy it was there because I was like, okay, we can talk about it. (laughs) Because I didn't want to talk about it until it was available for other people to stream. Uh, and a lot of that was because of the music. So rights for a lot of these songs kept switching people. And uh, so they just couldn't get it together. And it sometimes it would be up on YouTube, but it would get taken down like really quick. So you had to watch it. And then, which I think is kind of fitting for what this movie is about, for the fact that, you know, you've got a pirated radio show and then people are trying to also stream this and they can't and then it gets taken down all the time. So I think that fits very, very well with the whole movie. Uh, but I was so so happy that it was finally available and that none of the songs changed. That was what I was so worried about. And then being able to watch it and having it be exactly the same. So this, I think, is h- the hardest question I'm going to ask you. Personally, I think this is the hardest question. So Danelle, what yeah, was your favorite I can't needle? Drop? You're doing this to me. <laughs> oh, okay. I, Concrete Blonde
2: is one of my favorites. So their cover of the Leonard Cohen song, everybody knows, that has some deep personal meaning to me that I'm not going to go into because it's just too too much. I mean, it has to do with the topics um, of the film, but everybody knows is a huge one for me, like absolute huge. And Wave of Mutilation by the Pixies is another one of my f- freaking favorites. Ah, uh, yeah so the whole soundtrack is pretty pretty good I mean even the little rap stuff like I'm not a huge rap fan but some of the rap stuff is hilarious and I forget the song that he does the little oh it's um the descendants the little like and he plays it twice yeah it just cracked me up so whale sperm yeah anyway <laughs> it just made yeah. me laugh so <laughs> there's just some great music in it yes Lots of great music. So,
1: Sarah, I, I know you said this was a hard one for you to come up with. Not that the soundtrack is
0: not absolutely amazing. At the time when the movie came out, it was not necessarily music that I was into at that time. Um, you know, a uh, little bit of the BC Boys. Yeah. Uh, some Soundgarden. But, you know, most of the bands that were uh, featured and the music that was featured was not necessarily uh, my genre of music. So nothing I know this is going to sound terrible but nothing like really stuck out to me and it's probably probably why because it just wasn't music that was on my radar at the time. Again, not to say that the soundtrack isn't amazing and, and not that I don't appreciate it now because I absolutely do. Um so I I really can't think of one although the de- the descendants just that little you know Three second is just freaking hilarious. <laughs> you know, but you want a prize with no, or <laughs> whatever it is. I don't even know. But that was, I mean, that was just funny to me. So I really, I don't necessarily have a favorite. I'm, I'm sorry. It's okay.
1: It's okay. Um, I this was. No, you don't suck. it's just it's fine. Uh, this is totally my music. This was my music in late junior high and in high school. This was totally my jam, all of this music in here. Leonard Cohen it was a master, was one of the best musicians singers ever, ever, ever to ever exist. I just everything that's in here with it, that's Leonard Cohen. It gets a big shout out um, from me. So I just want to just say that. I think all of those are amazing. I love um, the why can't I fall in love. I, that and plus it's one of the best scenes when it's just when him and Nora are out there dancing and he's finally, you know, giving it. And then the the teenager and me loved it because Christian Slater was shirtless. So. Oh <laughs> and oh my God, watching it back, I'm like, holy crap, his body is so <laughs> all the little freckles too were just oh my gosh i forgot how much i loved him back
0: then oh i god. know. Oh,
1: yeah. I had I this was... poster in my room i had so many christian slater posters i had this one i had gleaming the cube i had young guns i <laughs> untamed heart oh, oh yeah oh, oh my, my god, god. god. <laughs> oh so not yeah, even get I, me started on that one. He was like, he was really the go-to crush when you got older in Gen X. This was the guy that most, almost everybody loved. So, so we will definitely, while we continue this, I mean, we're covering Heather's next year, but we will be covering much more Christian Slater stuff than just that, I'm sure. Uh, yeah, Untamed Heart. Oh my God. And that, that one has some major issues when you look back at it. But I still love it. I don't movie. care.
2: I love it. And I will die on that hill. Oh, <laughs> oh I still love it. I will it. die on that hill with you. I still
1: love it. I, 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 love, his, I love his character. Anyway, Vita yeah. Krauss. <laughs> <He's like laughs> but I mean, it's fine because we're talking about one of his movies here. I'm going to second Wave of Mutilation because the Pixies were. Oh, my gosh. The Pixies. I, I can't really describe what the Pixies were at that time for a lot of people. Uh, they were right up there with uh, with Violent Femmes and uh, Depeche Mode and, and New Order too, I think, and then Nine Inch Nails later and, and Jane's Addiction and all of those they were kind of, they were mixed in there too. So I I love that. And I, and you know, if you, the original version of Wave of Mutilation was a lot faster, but I love the slower version of of Wave of Mutilation so much. So yeah. And then once again, a shout out again to Freedom of Speech, because I think that is an amazing, incredible song by Above the Law. So please listen to that, especially if you ever think we're going to try and, cancel cancel culture or whatever crap you want us to do for you because we won't because listen to that song <laughs> and also the just say no crap once again and then heretic by soundgarden so there's just so much on here that i could talk about with the music now i want to talk about mark i know that with all of these we've mainly just been talking about just naming a favorite character but i thought for this one it was essential to kind of single out mark here and talk about him a little bit because He's the one who starts all this. So he starts this radio program after he can't speak to his friends back home after they've moved to Arizona. And he doesn't think anyone's listening. And then, of course, he's got a huge following. And he's incredibly shy at school, doesn't want to talk to people. And this is his way of talking to people and played by the by Christian Slater which we've already talked about how much we all loved Christian Slater back then and i think Christian Slater is amazing in this movie i want to say he is so dang good in this movie this movie would not work without him in this role nobody else could play this part he it's perfect for him he the mannerisms Uh, his facial expressions, everything. His performance is incredible. And this movie was nominated for Independent Spirit Awards, by the way, I want to say. So I I just, I think he's so good. And I think this character is so interesting to examine because I think he was way ahead of his time in some ways. He was a very, I don't know, open-minded man. (laughs) Not man, he was a boy, but I mean, you know what I mean? (laughs) So Danelle, what are your overall thoughts on Mark?
2: Yeah, so I kind of touched on this when we were talking about our favorite scenes because I think for me, like, Mark is one of those, if you were into the alternative scene at all, he was like the epitome of that guy that we were all friends with, you know, open-minded. Pro- or crushed pro- on, sorry. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um. just, yeah, he was progressive mind, you know what I'm saying, for the time. And I, I think... You know, um, of course, I'm I'm a little biased because I adored Christian Slater back then, and I still do. I am, he's still an amazing actor, so I hope to see him in many more things. I actually just saw him recently, and um, actually, it was a really good one of those kind of uh, true crime stories. And he played the husband, and he was a fantastic. Oh yeah, I know. What you're yeah, saying. he was actually really fantastic in it, and he still looks amazing. So we love you, Christian. Anyway, but Mark is just one of those characters. I mean. He was seeing him be so shy was kind of, it made you sad at first, you know, because you see him being so open and honest and real in his radio show. But in real life, he couldn't talk and couldn't get past his fear of being in, you know, his social anxiety or whatever was going on with him at the time. And I think a lot of people could relate to that high school was brutal, you know, and and in the 90s, it still is. And um, even more so with I think social media was Mm -hmm. a whole adds a whole nother level to the bullying and crap that goes on. But I can certainly remember um, being fat shy, and not really connecting, you know, not keeping my head down, not talking to a lot of people a lot of times, except for my very small circle of friends, because It just was such a dog-eat-dog world, you know? Um, So I think a lot of people can relate to that. That was one of the things that I really enjoyed about seeing this movie again for the first time in quite a few years, was that it held up so well. I mean, the opening scene, I'm like, "Um, this is, like, right now. Like, this is, you know what I mean? When he's talking about everything's crap and all the things that are happening, I was like, yeah, this, this feels real. This feels now, too. And I think... More so than most of the other movies, it just really held up with the themes and the things that are that were being talked about and discussed. So Mark is a great character. And again, I think you're right. Nobody could have played him but Christian Slater. I couldn't see anybody else pulling that off and making no. it so believable, you know, just so honest. He, he definitely had a great way about him as far as just pulling off the character between those two huge uh, dynamics, you know, one minute being crazy and (laughs) fake masturbating on the radio and just the music and the craziness. And then, you know, do you talk? You know, people are like, do you talk? And he's just like, nope, not much. (laughs) Just like running around. I I don't know anybody who could have pulled that off. So yeah, Mm -hmm. a a great character. I love so many of the characters in the film. So I'm sure we'll talk about that more. So I I won't jump there yet. But um, yeah, Mark's definitely... My favorite character in the
1: in the film, for sure. Oh yeah, he's one of my favorite characters. Period. Yeah, <laughs> ever. <laughs> I love this character. I I I would marry this person. <laughs>
2: Right, I think so many of us that age were like,
1: "Where's my mark? Where is he?" Like he was the epitome of the guys that we wanted. Yes, and so many guys that were in that in that scene and were more like, all he had to do to really up the ante for me was to have his hair black and wear some eyeliner and some mascara, and I would have been, (gasps) oh my god, I would have (laughs) painted. swoon yeah and wear a leather jacket and be, yes i oh my gosh i would have been in heaven uh i really, already was but i mean that would have made it even <laughs> <laughs> right there with your sister right there with you <laughs> and i'm going to be sharing a quote soon from christian slater about this movie because this because this happens to be his favorite movie he has ever done by the way really oh yeah yes. so <laughs> Yeah. it's our favorite that he's done too. So yes, so Christian, <laughs> yes, you're talk love to Christian. Us. We love you. Come on the show, do, do Talk about this movie. We could talk about it with you for like three hours. I'm gonna have to tag yes. him and some stuff for this. So, so yes, <laughs> if he likes some stuff, man, the teenager oh in me is gonna fake.
2: Oh, die. Yeah, you're gonna have to like get some smelling salts over That's here. I'll
1: never be the same again. No. Uh, so. <laughs> because this was my number one teenage crush this, this and Val Kilmer they were both kind of tied but yeah so Sarah <laughs>
0: Mark is to me the epitome of Gen X I mean he just he is mm-hmm. it just represents that generation so well I can remember when this movie but when, when it was released it was five days before my 16th birthday and I was so pissed off because it was rated R and I couldn't go see it. So I had to wait until it was on VHS. Yes, yes, people, we had VHS. You know, so I, I was probably closer to like 18 or 19 when uh, when I finally watched it. And this, like you said, this is the guy. He was the guy. We And it was, in a way, I kind of related to him, because, like Danelle said, uh, you know, I mean, I, I was the same type, very shy, um, kind of kept to myself, didn't talk in class, you know, I had a couple, small group of friends, or, you know, small group of friends, but uh, for the most part, you know, I was just trying to survive high school, which I think a lot of us, that's pretty much what we were doing. We were just trying to survive high school. And that's pretty much what Mark is doing here. So for him, you know, to have that outlet of the pirate radio show where he can just let go and be himself and not feel judged or, or or I don't want to say ridiculed because that's not the right word. You know, I thought it was just absolutely fantastic. And really no one no one could have played this except Christian Slater because he that even Christian Slater was Gen X I mean that oh, he yeah yeah I mean he was just him he, was he was our poster
1: yeah, boy he was he really was, our mascot. was
0: he was our Gen X mascot <laughs> <laughs> so if we had had this back in the 90s it would be Christian fucking Bale. It would be Christian fucking Slater.
1: Yes, yes. <laughs> it would be. It would be. Yes. Still, you're still the best, Christian fucking Bale. But yes,
0: <laughs> yes, we still love you. We just, you know, we we love the other Christian too. So, but anyway, <laughs> Christian fucking Bale always ends up in the podcast somehow. But anyway, I think he was a, a great representation for really all of us at that time which is you know why uh, and it's a lot of things that teenagers going through now too that teenagers are dealing with so you know from that aspect i think uh, the movie as a whole holds up very well and his character definitely holds up very well
1: yes yes um and before i get my thoughts on mark uh and man we 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 really are gushing about Christian Slater. This is the first time we've ever done that, and it's surprising. But I'm, I'm feeling like a teenager again. I have to say. <laughs> it's very weird. Uh, but this is from an article in Variety from July 15, 2020. And this was, he was talking about Dirty John, that, that, uh, which wasn't that the one you were talking about to know? Yeah. And um, he talks about how he wants to revisit Pump Up the Volume, actually. He wants to see where Mark Hunter is today. Uh, but this is by Audrey Cleo Yap. And this is his quote. I love this quote. And he says, that is my favorite movie I think that I've ever done and to a large degree favorite job. I felt like it was ahead of its time. It wasn't a typical high school movie and it really did get into some of the darker, more gruesome details of what it's actually like to be a teenager in high school. He says, I think it'd be fun to reexamine like what the heck happened to Mark Hunter? Where is the kid that had the pirate radio station? but now it might be who cares because everybody's got a podcast. And that was like the original underground podcast before any of this stuff was going on. Thank you, Christian. Yes. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Christian Slater gets it. (laughs) Uh, But yes, Mark was, Oh man, this uh, guy, this man, this boy when when this came out, I was not in high school yet. This came out my uh, what is that called? Like 8th grade, during 8th grade for me. So I started high school in 1991. So this was like a year before I started high school. And I used to sneak into R-rated movies all the time. So I saw this in the theater because Christian Slater. I'm so jealous. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so did Danelle. So yeah, I'm like, I'm going oh, to yeah. see this. I don't, see, <laughs> don't care. The, the irony here is... We R-rated movies all the time. We snuck into them um, all the time. Oh my I saw God. Breakfast Club, okay, and I was like 10. Like, we oh <laughs> just...
2: Or I was like 11 or something when that came out, and my friend and I went, and parents didn't have a clue. Nope, and oh it was rated R.
1: <laughs> yeah, we used to buy tickets for PG or PG-13 movies, and then we would go into the R-rated <laughs> one, and there were some theaters we knew were stricter and harder, to, like the Tivoli was really <laughs> hard, and and then there was like Cherry Creek Mall sometimes was easier, but it depended because they could still see you and where you were going. <laughs> but yes, that's what we did all the time. <laughs> all the time. Yep. Uh, yep. So, I, yes. I, I
0: must have lived a very sheltered life. I never did any of that stuff.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was, I, just, I was uh, such
0: the rule follower, which, yeah.
1: Well, I was I was also known as like, you know, everybody kind of because I was this I was shy. I was extremely shy. And but I acted all the time. And a lot of I want to say a lot of actors, I've said this before, are the shyest people in the world. They're incredibly shy. And this is how they break out of their shell. And I know I believe when this one first came out, and I think he said it also about his character from Untamed Heart, because his character Untamed Heart is also extremely shy. But I believe Christian Slater said this, these characters were a lot more like him. So when I heard that, of course, my crush on Christian Slater went even higher than it had before. (laughs) Uh, But this was just because he was like gorgeous, number one. He was incredibly attractive. I mean, looking even now, and I agree, Janelle, he's still a very attractive man. He still looks aged incredibly well. His voice, even though he got a lot of crap about it because it was very Jack Nicholson-like, I still loved his voice. I thought he was an incredible actor. And I think with this character, Mark was like someone that I think as as a teenage girl, the reason he was so appealing was because you felt like he would not treat you like a typical teenage boy would. And he would respect you. And... You know, and you could maybe like be, this is going to sound really, but the dominant one in the relationship in a way, or at least equal ground. And he was so smart and well-spoken and like, he was like that guy who smoked the cigarettes and was really cool and hip, hip is a weird word to use, but just kind of like ahead of his time. And, you know, he was just the person you wanted to be and be with at the same time. And the way Christian Slater plays this role is iconic, really, because even the way he when he does the little dances that he does, the you know, like I said, just the way he says things, the way he smokes, even. I know that sounds weird, but there is something about the ways people smoke sometimes that, You can tell, number one, if they are actual smokers (laughs) or if they've never smoked a day in their life. And also, uh, I think for him, for his character, smoking and this um, underground radio, this pirate radio show, this first podcast was his way, it was kind of like a, uh, um, it was Number one, it was a way for him to be himself, but it was also a way something to hide behind in a way, I think, too. I think he kind of, I mean, the fact that he has a voice disguiser, even though it doesn't disguise his voice very well, but the fact that he has a voice disguiser to me says a lot about this character where he's afraid to be fully himself. I mean, the scene in the classroom where his poem is read, and it's a beautiful poem, and he doesn't want to say anything about it. So it's like you hear a lot of in that what's really in his heart and how scared he is and you know he wishes he could not be so scared and everybody thinks he's not scared because of listening to this show but he still is it's this weird dichotomy of like I'm going to present this part of myself but I'm not going to actually present it when I'm uh, when I'm when I'm excuse me when I'm not behind that safety of the microphone and the voice disguiser So it's this, it's this interesting thing. It really, I think encapsulates being a teenager too, is you're not sure what side of yourself to show and you're worried about showing that. And he does that. He's, you know, struggling with his parents and he's struggling with the fact that he's a new kid in a town and he doesn't know how to talk to people. And all of a sudden he's got this fame and how is he going to deal with that? And he's in danger of getting arrested and all this stuff. So It's a very complex character, very complicated, and really ahead of his time. I I mean, like Christian Slater said in that quote, this is a very ahead-of-its-time movie. The way they handle homosexuality, the way they handle depression and suicide, I think it may not be perfect, but I think for this time, it was ahead of its time. It really was. I mean, the whole scene where Mark is talking to the guy who had the horrible experience with the other guy when he thought that guy had a crush on him and they were making fun of him. You didn't see stuff like that in teenage movies in the nineties. You didn't see them actually dealing with someone coming out of the closet and dealing with it in a way where it wasn't a joke and where Mark is never once makes fun of him. Never once makes a joke about it. Never once says the horrible F word. Never once utters that he is showing utter respect to this kid who is pouring his heart out for others to hear. And that was remarkable. And of course the adults aren't going to like it because that fits with the time. People didn't want people and still sadly to this day. So I think that is just one of the things I appreciate so much about this movie and looking back at it is so much of this stuff was not handled this way back then I love John Hughes movies, but man, the way some of the stuff was handled wasn't good. Respecting women in this movie, uh, having a teenager who was pregnant and not treating her like a slut, except for the fact that the school was because they were awful, but not treating her like a slut was, you didn't see that. It was so incredible. And it, and it all goes to Mark too. Mark was like, he just, cared about these people and that was amazing to see it makes me want to actually cry it's weird but it does because it just it's so ahead of its time and i just love this movie so dang much i'm so glad it holds up and that it's not one of those cringy 90s movies yes it could have done i will say it could have done with some more representation and not just being lily white it had the little token black characters strewn throughout had basically nothing to do so yes it could have done with some more of that i i do i do think that is a thing but overall this movie was ahead of its time it just was and it handled stuff a lot better than any other movies did so yeah okay well now i want to know who your other favorite character is in this to know
2: oh goodness um <laughs> i'm just thinking about all the wonderful stuff you were just saying um yeah i totally uh yeah, it does take me back. I love how he just sat with them. Like he was just sitting with them. He wasn't trying to fix it. He wasn't trying to make it better because he knew he couldn't. He was just giving them a, a voice and giving them a chance to say what they needed to say. You know, and I love that conversation that he had with um, with him, the young man um, who is coming out, you know, because he didn't try to fix it. He's like, this is just shitty. And I'm sorry this happened to you you know, and that's all you can do in that situation because, you know, I was around the same age. I was getting ready to graduate from high school and a lot of the friends that were just discovering who they were. Um, and I had friends who were just getting ready or coming out of the closet at that time and how painful and scary it was for them, you know, and what they went through. In fact, my senior year, somebody got beat up for it at my high school. And, um, He wore a shirt the next day with two men kissing in Navy uniforms. And I was like, you are so effing brave. Yes. Like, I just, I loved him for it, you know. And that was his act of rebellion. That was him saying, F you, um, to the assholes who wanted to hold him down. Because we had people like that in my school. So anyway, um, that's one of the things I love so much about this movie. And I think that does hold up you know, and especially for the time, right, for the time, it just, it was progressive, and Mark was the epitome of that, he was the epitome of this guy who was open-minded, and respectful, and creative, and intelligent, and well-read, and like, wow, you know, like, that, that's why I think so many young women at the time, we really loved him, and that character, because that's what we wanted, you know, so anyway. Other favorite characters, Nora's always great, <laughs> but I think she's she's just kind of over the top and a little bit of fun. Somebody I don't know who gets enough credit or talked about is the girl, her friend, I think Janice? Is it Janice? Her friend. I don't yeah. know why, but I just yeah. love her.
1: <laughs> um, I do Yeah. Her um,
2: kind of just kind of sunny. She had this sunny kind of disposition, but yet she was kind of like you know, F the man, you know, like (laughs) attitude, but she was a lot of fun and I appreciated Paige um, because I was a little bit like her, you know, I was, um, Sarah, you were mentioning, you know, like you were the good kid and all that. I did that too. I never ditched a day in high school until literally like, I think I had four days left of school and I, I didn't have an assignment done and I was so scared that I skipped a class, you know, and I just, you know what I did? I sat by my locker, like no joke like this is hysterical but i literally sat by my locker and i was so freaked out and i went home and did my home finished the paper and i went back to class the next day and i was like begging my professor you know my teacher to take it and she was like you've never turned in anything late ever i think it's okay She's just looking at me like I'm some kind of crazy person, but um, so I I could relate a lot. You know, I had, I was the kid who got the good grades and so my parents had that expectation and, you know, so I could relate a little bit to her. You know, I was kind of in that in-between, you know, I I was leading that double life. Um, I was a kid who changed clothes sometimes, you know, at school because I wanted to be a little more wild than my parents would let me or, you know, that kind of stuff, so yeah I could really I think she was Paige and uh, Janice are two of my favorites um
1: and I yeah, and Janie I just looked it Janie up thank Janie, you yeah. Janie
2: <laughs> um I'm trying to think if there's anyone else that I thought was pretty cool you know Mark's dad kind of redeems himself at the end so I kind of appreciated him at the end you know he's kind of a tool mm. through the first part of the movie but you know when his mom kind of grabs keeps calling him out you know her husband or she keeps calling out her husband the whole time like you know used to be kind of cool what happened to you and i think he kind of figured it out at the end he was like yeah this is not okay so i kind of appreciated that and maybe that's because i'm older now (laughs) um i'm more his age (laughs) um so yeah i think i could appreciate that as an adult just seeing what was happening to these kids and being pissed off you know and that he fires you know the the bitch, yeah, the bitch. Um, I'll just say it. Um, yeah, he fires her, and, and you know, stands up for his son and and the kids. So that's cool. So I could appreciate that.
1: Yeah. Oh my gosh, I hate Crestwood so dang much. She's such <laughs> right. a bitch. She's such a bitch. We can call her a bitch. She is a fucking bitch. <laughs> yeah, she is.
2: Well, you know what's sad is that there were schools that were doing that crap at the time. There were schools who were doing that crap. My school did it. Yes. They literally did it. And they, I love how it's very subtle, but they attack racism in this movie. And it's very subtle. It's very subtle. I wish they would have even gone there harder, you know. They they
0: just sort of, like touch on it it, yeah 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 definitely
2: implied you know because every kid had a non-caucasian name that was like getting kicked out of school you know and you see that um and it wasn't just that i mean it's just you know trying to make their test scores look better trying to make their whole scene look better than it really was instead of helping Mm -hmm. the students who needed lifting up and making an environment where it could
0: be better so yeah
1: So Sarah, what? Who's your other favorite character?
0: My other favorite is Nora. You know, i i was I was Angela Chase in high school, but I wanted to be Nora.
1: <laughs> yeah, I wanted um, to be you Nora know.
0: too. And just you know, sure of myself and not really give a shit what anyone else thought. And but I was not that way. So it, in a way, I was a you know a little bit envious of her, and just. Just her confidence and in, in being comfortable with herself, and her friend Janie too. I mean, she was she was just fun. <laughs> she was just uh, she was just a fun character. But yeah, the two, I, I would say the two of them uh, together um, because it's it's who I wanted to be and what I wanted to be like, and have that have that confidence instead of being so insecure about myself. That would be for me,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I was friends with a lot of Noras. I knew a lot of Noras, and oh, and, I did too. Yeah, yeah. And they, and they were. I mean, I always wanted to be more like them because they all were like this. And you know what's funny is um, I was talking about this movie with my my sister, and my sister was like, yeah, I if I didn't, because my sister was very goth when she was younger, and, I, and most of my friends were goths, and um, and. She was like, if I didn't have the tights she wore, I definitely wanted the tights she wore. (laughs) I mean, her whole, the way she dressed, everything. And she was just so confident and sure of herself and ahead of her time. And she was great. So she's definitely one of my favorites. I'm going to point out Maz, who was the punk rock guy, blonde hair, who was, you know. Yes, I completely forgot about him. He's so he's so great. And I also knew a lot of people like him and I met with a lot of people like him Uh, and a lot of the thing of him getting expelled because of dress code violations, you know, that was a big thing. Uh, A lot of people that looked like that, dressed like that, dressed like Nora, you know, wore really, really heavy dark makeup. And a lot of people in the goth scene were kicked out of a lot of places and banned from a lot of places because of the way they looked. I mean, they would use Different reasons behind it, but it was always because of that. So I really liked him, and I liked how much he loved uh, Harry, the hard Harry character, Mark. But you know how much he really, really hung on to him, and I think even though he came off as very um, confident, anyway. I think there was some feeling of internalized shame that he felt because of being expelled from school and all this stuff. And the fact that I think because of Mark, he ended up sticking up for himself more. And I love the scene when with the reporter where he's there and he's got the blue, (laughs) blue. Blue, blue colors in the smoke and he's lighting up the little like firecracker type things with the smoke coming out and then the reporter saying i'm here deep in the smoke and he off the eye. It was, so it was so perfect it was such a reporter thing to do so... <laughs> but i loved him and what i also appreciated about him is when page you know broke out of that shell and when she broke free of who she of who society and her parents wanted her to be. And then the scene with her and him on top of the vehicle and she's kind of trying to dance like he's dancing is this little tiny little moment that goes by really quickly, but it's really nice because it's like watching these two people that might have, that were at the beginning, kind of on opposite sides coming together because of this show And because they really actually are the same i just i really really appreciated that scene and appreciate that character so so much yeah yeah
2: i think it's very gen x there like that's what i love about it because different groups could get together right like you could there wasn't this total separation all the time yeah we had our cliques but people crossed over all the time and i think that's a great you know what i mean there was no judgment there you know she was who she was and she came out of her shell and he was like, okay, cool. Come on, let's do it. Let's dance, you know, like let's wreak yeah. some havoc. Let's cause some chaos, you know? And she, you know, there was no judgment there. And I love that. So to me, that's a very Gen X moment.
1: Yeah. I mean, this movie is, this movie just is Gen X period. I mean, there, there is relatable stuff for today, but it's, it's, it's Gen X for sure. Uh, yeah. And so I'm going to give a quick trigger warning here. Cause we're going to talk about depression and suicide. Uh, because this is a big thing that I—it's I, very important to talk about with this movie. There is a character in here, uh, Malcolm, who writes to Mark. Mark gets viewer letters, and if they include their phone number, he calls them. And his letter basically just says, uh, "Do you think I should kill myself?" And Mark calls him, and thinking this is probably a joke because you just see him read a letter right before that—that that is a joke. Uh, and so he calls and then very quickly realizes it's not trying to talk to him. He Malcolm puts the phone off the hook, tries to call him back, doesn't. And then Malcolm ends up killing himself. And this, I think, is the moment for Mark where Mark is almost like Mark has huge guilt over this for sure, because he didn't say don't do it <laughs> as he says. Danelle, how do you think they handled depression and this uh, suicide?
2: Yeah, this is a tough one. That was a really, really tough scene for me. Um, as somebody who has suffered from severe depression, um, it was very, it's very real. And I think that conversation is very real. And again, I think Mark's personality, he knew that he couldn't fix it. And I think he felt the same way a little bit. And so he's not going to try to say oh it's going to get better when he didn't feel like it was going to get better at the time so him saying that would have been false and that's not who mark is um and i think malcolm knew that and i think sadly you know he wasn't he wasn't wanting help and you know i think his guilt over it is heart-wrenching you know and in the scenes that after it's just sad because you know we all feel that way and um I lost somebody to suicide last year and, um, somebody I cared about very much. And you just never know. I've, I've gone through that this whole last year of, I should have known, but unless you, you don't always know the warning signs are typically aren't there, you know, and there's not much you can do in those situations, but try to love somebody through it and offer them your ear and your assistance, your help if they want it. But it is, it's a, it's a very, it's a very real, to me, it was a very realistic kind of view of depression um, without sugarcoating it, without saying the trite things that (laughs) sometimes get said in movies. It was just a very bleak, yeah, this happens. Um, without it being over like trauma porn that's i appreciated that we didn't have Mm -hmm. to see it we didn't have to we, we felt the after effects but we didn't have to to witness it and i think that was even more powerful um because it they didn't use it as a way to glamorize or like trauma porn which is something we've talked about before on the show but yeah it's um it's a hard topic, and I, I did appreciate the way they handled it. Um, of course, you wish that it wouldn't have had turned out that way. I wish the kid would have been able to get help at some point. I would have liked to have seen that, but I understand why they didn't show that. Because the movie was trying to be, um, I think, a realistic look at what can happen. You know, his parents were clueless. Obviously, if he hadn't, I don't know what... They never really showed if he had friends. So, you know, his friends might not have known, you know. And the only person he reached out to was to was this radio personality who didn't have the resources and didn't know how serious he really was.
1: So, mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm sorry about your loss. So, uh, Thank you for sharing that with us. Uh, so, Sarah?
0: Yeah, this... I, I it's it's been years since I'd seen the movie and I had forgotten about that scene. So it was it was a little triggering for me um, you know for the same reasons. I mean I've I've dealt with uh, depression and uh, suicide ideation since I was a kid and and have attempted suicide on on several occasions. So uh, from my perspective, it was, it was very real, the way they, they portrayed that scene. You know, the kid was not, I mean, to me, it, it sounded like he, Malcolm, had, had made up his mind and, you know, was just trying to, uh, you know, t- he, he wanted someone to know what was going on, what he was going to do. And it was it was hard, it was heartbreaking to watch because it, it was it was a hard it was a hard scene for me to watch anything anything like that is is usually very difficult for me to watch it, and it broke it, it did it broke my heart just after fact and and Mark um, having that that sort of survivor's guilt you know, what could I have done more? And I think it was at that point where he realized how influential he had become on these kids' lives and how, you know, how much they were listening to him and, and you know, needed to hear or wanted to hear what he had to say. And I think it, it was at that point that it clicked. And that's when he, he said, okay, yeah, I'm done and quit for like two seconds. And then we get his whole speech about, you know what, sometimes you just got to do something a little crazy and, you know, just get that out. And I think that's when Paige ends up blowing up her kitchen with all her stuff in the microwave. So from, I think, I think they did a, a very good job of, of showing that this, this, this is what, these kids are going through and this is how they feel. And, you know, we, we need to listen. So I think it was, I think it was very well done with with the handling of it.
1: Yeah. Uh, like I've spoken before many, many times about my my struggles with depression and suicidal ideation and feeling that way the same since I was a kid and having in my head, well, this doesn't happen this way, literally thinking, you know, well I could just kill myself and then it'll be, you know, and, and just like, as a casual thought, which is, which is something people don't talk about a lot. And uh, I want to also point out before talking about just the the suicide scene is there's a line in here that um, Crestwood says of, that she's ordering psychiatric evaluations of the students. And I want to say, I've said this before, there was something that went on and people don't talk about this. I wish people would talk about this now and examine it. It should be examined. I mean, maybe we'll do something about that or I, I don't know on this show, but there was something that happened back in the nineties and it happened to me as one of the people. Um, and I knew tons of friends who did too. Uh, lots of kids were being institutionalized and lots of kids were being sent to psychiatric facilities. And for everything, I mean, this was a lot of it was parents did not want to deal with their kids and their problems. Honest to God, that is why I was very fortunate, had an amazing mom, but I was very suicidal my freshman year in high school before I found the amazing September school that did save my life. I was in a public high school, uh, not very popular. I was very feeling very suicidal. And I had a classmate that, that killed himself. And that was very triggering for me. I had a whole plan on what I was going to do. And I, and I told my mom and I asked for help, went and and talked to a therapist. And she told me, just tell me everything that you're going through. And I promise I won't tell your mom. So I told her everything. And she said, okay, I'm going to bring your mom in here and you're going to tell her everything you just told me or I will. That moment in my life changed me completely. Everything. I was a completely different person after that. And she told my mom everything with me having to, you know, sit there and listen. And she said, okay, well, you're going to have to go to the hospital because they have to do 72 hour hold. And my mom didn't want me to go. And so, but they took me and they took me in an ambulance and I was freaking out and they said, calm down or we're going to have to handcuff you. And they took me there. I was there for 72 hours and and then for another week and then three months outpatient. And then, you know, a, a few, almost a decade ago, I was in the hospital again. And it was pretty close after my Me Too moment that I've talked about before. But I met a lot of kids when I was in that hospital. There were people in there that did seriously did need help. But there were also a lot of people in there that they had run away from home. So they were put in there. Um, Some other thing had happened and they were put in there. And that little line in there, while they don't delve as deep into that, that to me was a call out for that. That was, it was a big thing. They would put you in there and then the insurance ran out and you were all good and new and they would diagnose you with things that you didn't have. They would pump you full of stuff. Like I was on Prozac and Haldol, which Haldol is an antipsychotic. It was not psychotic, by the way. It had to do with a lot of the stuff that I was really into like, um, you know, paranormal and stuff like that. So they put me on antipsychotic because of that. And so my brain was dead end for a whole summer you know, those drugs messed with a lot of people, messed a lot of people up. And I appreciate that this movie, I think, is speaking to that. Um, they didn't go as deep into it as maybe would have been nice, but I'm not going to criticize for them, them at all because they actually mentioned it and nobody mentioned that stuff back then, really. I think there was one, like, 2020 or Dateline that came out that talked about it at some point. But that was, that was a big thing. And... The suicide scene, there's not a one part of me that thinks the way Mark handled that was wrong. I'm not, and the reason I say this is not because I think, like, if you know someone is suicidal, you should definitely try and get them help because, you know, that kind of thing. The reason I'm saying that is he's a flippin kid he's still a kid he is not an adult yes he is having the show and he's doing adult type conversations but he's still a kid he's a te- he's teenagers are still kids i mean they're on that precipice of adulthood but they're not adults and he doesn't know how to handle this situation that has been thrown on him and he does the best he can what he says is better than what most people would say in that situation And he truly cared and he truly felt remorse, which he didn't have anything to be remorseful for, in my opinion. There's no guilt on him at all. This is not his fault. He probably couldn't have said anything that would have stopped him, anything. And even if he had called someone and let them know, I mean, they could have tried to trace, but he couldn't that still wouldn't have done anything. So there's no fault or blame on him on him at all. And what I think the movie is trying to say with this is they're not trying to put blame on anybody. They're not, except for maybe the world as a whole. But what they're trying to say is this this horrible stuff happens and we don't talk about it. And then the reaction of the school with the stupid bionic hotline that's only open during certain times and is such this like band-aid put on a huge gusher that nobody wants to look at is so of the times too and i know this stuff and i still don't think we handle this stuff well even today it's a little bit better but still not the greatest so it's just i think this movie talks about it in a way that most movies didn't and most people were afraid to talk about especially when you had teenagers and i'm I don't know. I should have researched this. I don't know what the reaction was. This, this was a critical hit to a lot of critics loved this movie, but I don't know what the reaction was to from parents of that time. Because my my thinking is probably a lot of parents hated this movie because of the fact that they were talking about things like this in a frank and honest way. So I think it handles it better than almost anything at that time handled this. And even though it's a very painful and hard scene to watch, that scene is very hard to watch. And the actor who plays Malcolm is, is really, really good in that scene. I, I, I just, I applaud this movie for even attempting to do that. And uh, yeah, so I just, I, th- I think it's, you know, I'm overly critical of this stuff as everybody knows. <laughs> so <laughs> the way media handles this stuff and, and they, did a very, very good job and a very realistic job. And Mark is not in the wrong, okay? He just isn't. And I my heart breaks for everybody having to deal with that in, in this. So, yeah. Okay, so we've already talked about this a lot. So I don't know how much more we can say about the Gen X of it all. um Because <laughs> we are pretty much have already said a lot about that. But if there's anything else you want to add to that, Danelle, feel free to do that.
2: Um, I love how kind of everybody was represented in the movie. You know, like I, I, I wish diversity, speaking of racial diversity, was more there, like you mentioned earlier. And unfortunately, that's just not something we can fix. But I think that the diversity, as far as like the different scenes or things that were happening in high school, were all represented there. You had your, you know, people who are into the athletics and your alternative scene kids, and, you know, all of these different mixes of kids were there. And, that's what I kind of appreciated and he kind of united them and that's one of the things that I thought was kind of cool especially as the show as a a movie progresses right more of them are coming together more of them are passing the tapes and listening and you know I love the throwback to the cassettes it just takes you back (laughs) um yeah like passing mixtapes and and sharing music that way and and things that you liked um so, yeah, I mean, it just—it is essentially—it's just such a, a central Gen X thing and, and movie. Um, whether it's the music, I mean, yeah, yeah, and and it's all represented there, you know, pretty much. Um, I don't think they left a whole lot out. That's one of the things that I appreciated about the film a lot. So,
1: and Sarah, did you have anything to add to that
2: with the Gen? I mean,
0: really, not not much else. I mean, we've we've kind of covered. <laughs> <laughs> how Gen X this movie was and it, I mean it is it's every everyone everything is there what you know the different types of people that you interact with in high school different situations that you're the teenagers are dealing with that no one like you said no one talks about it's just kind of swept under the carpet so uh, yeah I really don't have too much more to add to that because i think we've pretty much covered it
1: yeah there's not much to add of course because we you know we've talked about it a lot i i i want to once again second the music stuff because i think uh music was so so important for our generation um and i know it's important for lots of generations i'm not saying it's not but it was such a um It was just such a thing for us. It just was, uh, you know, like we talked about with Empire Records. You had, of course, the record store and you had uh, that kind of and you had mixtapes. Mixtapes were a huge thing. You made mixtapes for your friends. I would spent hours upon hours upon hours doing that and showing how you felt in each song, you know, going into each other. And it was supposed to be a certain thing and playing into your certain mood at the time and exchanging tapes and, you know, I, you know, for the longest time, and I unfortunately lost it, but I I held on to uh, the self-titled debut album from Violent Femmes. When I was in um, the psychiatric hospital, um, I met a guy there who was really screwed up, but I was madly in love with him.
0: (laughs) Of course, Yes. (laughs) And
1: he was very, very much this kind of alternative, you know, my, my, my jam. And he introduced me to the Violent Femmes and gave me his tape and he gave me it when I, when I left. And I kept it forever, even when I got it on CD, because it had this, I don't know, it was like, it was like my teenage years. And, and, and we're going to be talking and Danelle's going to be on that episode. We're going to be talking in November, my birthday month about Violent Femmes and how they were my, my heart and my soul, and my everything in high school. <laughs> this, that I mean, that was all those songs on that album are Gen X. <laughs> really, if you want to talk about Gen X, that was Gen X, yeah. Uh, yes, uh, and they still are. I mean, going to see them it uh, the last October was incredible because I've seen them more than any other band anyway, but that was amazing. Uh, but. You know, there was something about holding onto that tape, even when I had the CD that I don't know, it was more like nostalgic and it felt more of the time. And um, that was the way it was, is with music back then. It was, you know, listening to the stuff that wasn't necessarily played on the radio, except for KTCL 93.3, sometimes KBCO. <laughs> KTCL. remember, that's what we used to always call it back then. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> that's okay. Uh, so those stations would play that stuff that's all i can add because we've already said so much about it but this is if you want to know who we were as a generation if you're a younger generation and you want to know go watch this movie and that'll inform and maybe you'll you'll have a different kind of respect for us and remember that we exist (laughs) we are here we're still here here. we are survivors (laughs) we are survivors man
2: <laughs> it's so fun when you watch the news and they'll do things about generations and then they'll like the Gen years between 1967 and like 1985 and
1: i'm like it's so there's funny. people there we were forgotten then and we're still forgotten now i mean it's so bizarre to me. It's just the weirdest, why? weirdest thing. Like, why? <laughs> we were the latchkey generation, and we are still the latchkey generation. <laughs> it kills me. Oh My God, seriously, it kills me. It's so. It's just, uh, yeah. I'm like, you know, I think we did a lot to try and do things for the world, but we still, we're just completely. Ignored <laughs> we and people don't.
2: sufficient for our own good. <laughs>
1: like we just became so good at like
2: just doing our own thing. Yes, that the whole world was like, "Oh, they're good. Never mind. They're good. Yeah, we don't need to worry them. about them.
0: <laughs> they <survived. And> They're fine. <laughs> <buying. laughs> they're fine. <buying.
1: laughs> they, they they survived everything. <laughs> they're okay. <laughs> All good. Yes. I mean, it just just it's, it's true. It's <laughs> so true." Uh, yeah and revisiting these movies i mean you know but there's so if you have any i want to say listeners if there are any gen x movies you'd like us to cover in the future please let us know uh, we're definitely doing Heather's next year. Oh, that's um, a must. That is a must. I think that panel is going to fill up in two seconds flat when I open it. Oh, up yeah. Because I've already had tons of people. Every time I say I'll it, everybody. That.
2: I'll fight somebody for that spot. I want to be on that one for sure. Come on, Sarah. <laughs> you know I will on that.
1: Come on, <laughs> uh, But we're definitely covering that one. <laughs> Well, we already mentioned this, too. So we already talked about how this is the first podcast. So I don't know if there's anything anyone wants to add to that. But this is the first indie podcast. I'm going to stress indie that there was. So, I mean, and Christian Slater's on our side with this, too. So. <laughs> and I'm I just, not going to argue I, with
2: them. Well, Pearl Jam did some pirate radio back in the day. I don't know if you ever caught their little pirate radio stuff they did. They did several broadcasts, um, did their own pirate radio station a few times, who, which was a lot what of was fun. was this? Pearl Jam? oh okay yeah they i have i have it on cassette somewhere (laughs) Um, because we would find out about it and then you would tune in and record and i think i had some you know bootleg cds of it somewhere too but yeah a lot of fun so it 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 was cool it was a cool thing and he started the whole podcast thing i mean this movie started it for sure oh
1: yeah i mean we would not we would not i i really think that that's for sure true no matter what anybody thinks but (laughs) And if we have Christian Slater on our side, then we know it's correct. (laughs) But yeah, so this has been a ton of fun. And I want to say, if you're listening to this on Friday the 15th, we are tonight on our... um, Uh, If you're listening to this in the day, if not, you can go back and follow it again, but go watch this. This is on HBO Max right now. Please go watch it because I worry every day that it's going to disappear from HBO Max for other people. I mean, I luckily own it, like I said, but I worry it's going to disappear for other people. I would love to get a Blu-ray fan edition of this. I'd love to have a cast reunion. Christian, you want to come on? Christian Slater? I have to specify which Christian, but Christian Slater, both of them are always welcome. Uh, But Christian Slater, if you want to come on sometime and talk about this movie with us, we would absolutely love it. I am so tagging you in everything about (laughs) this now. Do a little post after this, too, and say how much fun it was to talk about this and tag you in it. Uh, and hopefully, you'll see it because then the teenager and me will surely die. Um. <laughs> uh, but anyway, but uh, join us on Twitter starting at 7 p.m. Mountain Standard Time. That's 6 Pacific, 8 Central, 9 Eastern, as we do a live tweet of this movie. So that'll be a ton of fun. I'm very excited. Like I said, I've already watched it two times in the past week. So this will be the third time. And I do not get tired of this movie ever. So please, please go watch it if you haven't watched it. Indie podcasters out there, if you have not watched this movie, what are you doing? Go watch this movie. (laughs) See who the first podcaster truly was go watch this but thank you both for joining me this has been a ton of fun and thank you to everybody who's listened to all of these episodes i know right now the empire records one is the most popular one so we'll see how this this one does but thank you so much so we're going to go around and have everybody say where they can be found danelle yeah, you can find me on Instagram as Draven
2: Pearl. You can find me the same thing on um, Twitter. I am on Facebook, but heart, you know, I don't really do much on there as much these days, um, just with some fr- good friends. So Twitter's probably where you're going to find me the most, or Instagram. Awesome. Thank you.
1: And Sarah?
0: Uh, you can find me on Facebook, uh, Sarah vaccaro Barnick or on Twitter and Instagram, at Natecam Mom. That's N-A-T-E-C-A-M. M
1: O M. Awesome. Thank you. And this is Erin. You can follow me on Twitter at E April Beauty. The E and the A and the B are capitalized. Be sure to like the show on Facebook at Facebook.com slash It's a Fandom Thing Pod. On Twitter at Fandom Thing Pod. No, it's in that one. On Instagram at It's a Fandom Thing Pod. On TikTok at It's a Fandom Thing Pod. If you have any feedback, show notes, if you'd like to be a potential interview guest on the show, please feel free to reach out to us at it's a at gmail.com or you can go to our website. It's a hit the contact us button there. You can also listen to my past interviews. I'm very, very proud of my interviews, all my interview subjects. I'll say they love it. I've had some say it's the best interview they've ever done in their life. So go listen to those. I'm very, very professional and I take what I do With these, very seriously, I want to say, I've heard from so many creative people that they know when they go on interviews, the person has not read their book, seen their movie, done any research. And I make sure to do that because I think it's incredibly rude and weird that people don't do that. So advice to all my fellow interview people out there, do your flipping research if you're interviewing someone. (laughs) I do not understand. I'm sorry. It's still this pet peeve of mine right now, since I've heard it from several people And that's why people have said they appreciate mine because they're like, I know you've read my material. I can tell. (laughs) Like, why would you not do that anyway? But yeah, go there. I love interviewing so, so dang much. So feel free to go on there, hop in there and contact us. And next week, we are kicking off our revisit of the man that will never leave my side. I've decided to say that from now on. Mr. Ryan Murphy. I realize I am complicit in this, but... (laughs) What can I say? Uh, me and you know, someday Ryan Murphy will be on here, and it'll be probably a very contentious interview. <laughs> Sorry, had to throw that out there. I no, love you, love you. Um, no, I, I, I eat up your stuff. I eat up your stuff. That sounds really weird, but it fits. Uh, but we're revisiting him every April from now on. We are going to be talking about Ryan Murphy for the second half of the month. And this time we are going to be talking about Ratchet, The Normal Heart, which is an incredible movie that's on HBO. Please go watch that. Uh, we are going to be talking about Hollywood, and then we're gonna wrap things up with 911, which I'm still so angry that I love this show so dang much. Dang it, Ryan Murphy. Dang it, Carla. Dang it, Meg. I'm just going to say that because I never would have watched this without them. So, <laughs> um, but we're kicking off, of course, with a live stream, which will be tomorrow night, April 16th at 6 p.m. Mountain Time, uh, 5 Pacific, 7 Central, 8 Eastern, as we talk about Ratchet with most of my Finwit Rock crew. And be prepared. If you thought we gushed about Finn Wittrock before, I am telling you, the talk, the gushing about him on this is going to be epic, <laughs> <laughs> and not and not just about, like I've said a million times, not just about his amazing body in this movie, but his amazing performance. He is so damn. Good in this. So we're going to talk about that. Everybody else is good too. I have major issues with the show, but everybody else is really, really good. So join us for that. And that episode will be dropping next Wednesday. And then next Friday, we're going to drop the episode about the normal heart. Ben Whitrock's also in that one too, but only for a brief period of time. But that also has the lovely Matt (laughs) Bomer. Oh my God, I love Matt Bomer. So that will be so much fun. And my podcast Brain Twin is also going to be on that one as well as shell from Liberty Diner Dish. So until next time, remember, it's a fandom thing. Black Lives Matter and Stop Asian Hate. Until next time, eat your cereal with a fork and do your homework in the dark and talk hard. So be it. Yes, <laughs> thank you for putting that up.